Welcome, folks, to the fourth episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where a couple of old guys are talking college basketball, primarily on the Houston Cougars and the Big 12, but with a bit of national big game coverage sprinkled in as well. We're now finally into some games, sort of, with schools starting to play their top secret scrimmages and exhibition games this week. And today we're going to have a more unstructured agenda, talking a bit about these preseason games. And to help us along, we're going to possibly have two guests today to provide their perspectives. First off, we'll have a friend of the show and frequent Houston Cougars Hoops game companion of mine, Bill Walker, share how he sees the season ahead, highlighting how we match up with some key non-conference opponents in the early season, and how he agrees or disagrees with our predictions for the season. And then our second guest will be a friend of Tom and an Arizona superfan, Hayden Adkins, who will provide a fan's perspective into our future conference rate Arizona heading into the season. I'm Steve Chang, your co-host for this podcast, Houston grad of 82 and the big data analytics geek of the show. And Tom? My name is Tom Lidiak. Uh, like Steve, I'm a fellow U of H alum, also a huge Houston Cougar basketball fan. I'm also a big fan of uh, Kelvin Sampson. I do a little coaching, uh, retired teacher. All right. So let's get right into it. We had our first secret scrimmage with Ole Miss that was all over Twitter. And the first report we got from the game was from Ryan Munso of GoCougs.com that stated that UH shot the ball well at Oxford but struggled to get stops. Beard's transfer from Auburn Flanagan scored around 30 points. UH didn't play great, and Ole Miss will be better than people think. Ryan then added that Damian Dunn was a bit nicked up, didn't play. We also knew that Malik Wilson didn't play since he had broken his hand. Then we found out from Joseph Duarte that the score was actually 70 to 66 for our Cougs. And then additional info leaked out from Truly Donovan that Musa Cisse of Ole Miss didn't play either. What do you think, Tom? Anything to take away from the scrimmage at all? Steve, it's kind of hard uh, when you, you know, you're just, we're just getting hearsay. Uh, you know, the game wasn't, the scrimmage wasn't televised, obviously. So we're just getting like, you know, bits and pieces. I, f- <laughs> I find it funny that somebody said we shot well, but we didn't defend well. It's usually the opposite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and rebound well, and we, and, you know, we shoot a bunch of bricks. But uh, <laughs> and, and it's funny, too, when, when uh, someone from the program program is actually claiming that, you know, we didn't defend well, yet we held them to 66 points. That's pretty freaking good, right, <laughs> from a defensive perspective. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah correct. Uh, also, it'll give uh, Coach Sampson a lot of ammunition at the next yeah. couple of practices, uh, if, if it's correct that we didn't defend the greatest. And, you know, hopefully it's not a, a year-long thing. But it brings me back to, I think it was our Elite Eight year, our first game of the season, first real game of the season we played, Hofstra, they didn't end up uh, making the tournament, but we had to go to overtime against them. We were playing at home, and uh, we, you know, Tajay Moore had to hit a three at the buzzer, yep, to get us into overtime. And you know, that's the team that eventually made it to the Elite Eight. So, yeah, uh, I was doing some, I was doing some thinking the other day uh, on a walk, and if we make it to the Final Four, make it to the, the championship game, that's close to five months from now. Yeah. Because we yeah. have all of, all of November, December, January, February, and and, and March, so a, a scrimmage right now, yeah, you, yeah, you know, I'm sure all the coaches wanted wanted us to play well and all that, but uh, you know, it's it's more okay. What what do we need to work on? Uh, 
because up until now, all we've been doing is playing each other at practice. Yeah. Where, you know, we, we know what the offense does. We know what the defense does. Uh, so it's, I'm sure it's good for the coaches and the players to, to see somebody else to, to go up against. Yeah, I agree. It's really, I mean, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's about continuous improvement throughout the season. And that's been a hallmark of Kelvin Sampson's Cougars teams, right? Uh, I don't know if you had heard the interview, I think it was a few weeks ago, where he was looking back at this past season's team and how young it was and how it wasn't very mature and where kind of his previous few teams kept improving all the way through March. And he felt like this one, because of perhaps that lack of maturity, didn't continue to progress maybe at the clip that he had expected. And so it was kind of a learning experience as well. I'd I'd say for everyone, right? It's a different name, younger than what we're used to. And I think this year we'll have a little bit more, uh, more experience and maturity on the team. Yeah, Steve, I, I actually think the team kind of regressed it at some points last yeah. year as the season went on. You know, I, I go I go back to that first half against Alabama where uh, you could just see the intensity on defense. You know, active hands, just the intensity level, and the, you know the, the competitiveness. Uh, I just I didn't see that toward the end of the season. Even though you know we won our fair share of games, you know, just didn't see it. So who knows what what the deal was? But usually a Kelvin Sampson team does get better as the season as the season progresses. Like we said, he's a Hall of Fame coach. You know, he he knows all of this. We're not saying anything that the him or the coaching staff doesn't know. Yeah. I, I was gonna ask you as well, just kind of what your impressions are of these so called secret scrimmages. I mean, we started doing these things, I think maybe a couple, two, three years ago, and they were truly secretive, right? And now it's almost become, you know, big business where they're like little tidbits that are leaked and it's all over Twitter. I mean, quite honestly, we knew that we were playing this so-called secret scrimmage with Ole Miss quite a while ago. Pretty soon um, the live stream and yeah. you have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, ex- exactly. Right. Or I think one of these, I, I forget which two teams they're actually charging for it and letting people go. And then the money was going to go to charity. And, and so that's where I think it's actually going to start going. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, from a coach's perspective, these scrimmages, you know, always prefer it be close to the public because uh, yeah. it's more it's more like a practice. You know, yep. uh, I'm, I'm sure Samson's going to, you know, in a in a gym where everybody can hear every word he says. You know, <laughs> I'm sure he wants to he wants to go off on somebody. He doesn't want he doesn't want an audience. You yeah. know, that have Very has true. camera uh, has phones and everything that re- it's recording everything. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, as you said, not a lot to take away from the secret scrimmage. Quite honestly, we didn't get a whole lot of details, but it, it's always great to play these things. It's another team, like you said, and we love to get the score and it's always even better when we do win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, and see, before we go on from the scrimmage, you remember last year when we scrimmaged Duke, they came yep. to our place. Did anybody ever find out why the scrimmage was stopped short? No, I I, yeah, I didn't it, even it, realize it was stopped short. Uh, yeah, it was honestly, it was stopped so. short with like eight, ten, twelve minutes left. I don't know if uh, Shire decided that you know our guys were a little too physical, uh, too physical, I, yeah. yeah, and they were <laughs> they were going to get hurt. I don't I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me though. Or right, maybe it, the rib joint was going. A barbecue joint was about to close, and you know they yeah. had to they had to get out of there. I, I don't you know, know. All, all kidding aside, I will give duke credit especially first year coach i mean they ended up being pretty good defensively last they year they did yeah they did so they, i was they, impressed 
they improved as the season went on. Yeah. Anyway, so let's pivot now to the upcoming exhibition this coming Saturday with UNC Pembroke, a university whose history is intertwined with that of the Lumbee Nation to preserve their unique identity and ensure access and authority over their own educational system. It is also Coach Kelvin Sampson's alma mater. So a nice thing that he's doing, bringing them in for an exhibition game for the experience, exposure, and I'm assuming dollars as well to support the program. Their Division II team, actually have one kid that is six foot 11 inches tall, if you can believe it. And Drew Richardson is their head coach. So Tom, from your perspective as a coach, you know, what are your expectations going into the exhibition game? What do you want to see or what are you trying to get out of it? Okay, Steve, before I go on further, do you know that Pimpbroke also has a scrimmage against Duke? No, I, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. They, wow. have one, they have one against Duke also. So, a glutton yeah. for punishment. Holy <laughs> yeah. cow. Uh, but, and then Pembroke, they did win their conference championship last year. Wow. Yeah. So, and they're a D2 program. Okay. As far as, you know, what are coaches looking to get out of it? I would say more, it's almost like a scrimmage, you know, against Ole Miss. I'd say the biggest thing is don't get into bad habits. Do what you do. In our case, it's, it's playing man to man and rebound and just another chance to get some kinks out before. Uh, before the first real game. I think that's the, the most thing you're trying to get out of an exhibition is look yeah. at some stuff and, and see what you need to work on to just like that old Miss scrimmage. Assuming that everyone's going to get playing time, we'll get a little bit of experience, even though it's an exhibition game. Uh, I'm interested to see the kind of lineups that coach is going to play around with and see who he's trying to mix and match with. And this will give kind of you and I our first glimpse into our predicted starting lineups or or things like that. So I, I'm really curious. I don't know if Damian Dunn is going to be well enough to actually play. I, I hope he is. If not, I'm assuming we're going to get to see a lot of Terrence Arsenault's time at the three, the four, maybe a little bit of the two as well and see how he does. So I'm really curious as to how some of our kids have progressed through the summertime. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, you know, to see, like you said, who starts, You know, who comes off the first couple of guys off the bench, different combinations. If we see anything different set, new sets uh, this year offensively, we'll see who we run our sets for. My guess is there's going to probably be some sets run for uh, LJ Cryer to get yeah, him some, you know, definitely. to get him some threes. He'd probably be the the one that would set up some special plays or sets for. Well, I think that's it for these secret scrimmages and exhibition games. When we get to our two guests for this episode and get a different perspective on the upcoming seasons from a Houston Cougars fan as well as an Arizona fan. So hold on as we uh, get to our next section. We welcome Bill Walker now, our first fellow Houston Cougars fan that we're having on the show as we said we would do when we launched this podcast. Bill, how about a quick intro? Okay, thanks, Steve. I've uh, been a U, well, I'm a U of H grad from 89. I also attended uh, the University of Wisconsin and for graduate school, the University of Miami. So I've, I've got uh, I've got a little bit of background uh, in terms of the other conferences, but, but I, I go to virtually every single U of H home game. I have been to them for the past four or five years gone to gone to the NCAA tournament games went to see them in the final four and uh, so uh, yeah I've spent a lot of time around the 
the program and, and know a lot of people involved with the program and uh, and am a huge U of H basketball fan. No, that's awesome. And for those of you that are listening, Bill and I go to games quite a bit when I'm at town. He's kind of my uh, my games companion when my son can't join me. So it's great to have you on. So why don't we just get right into it and maybe if you could share your views and expectations for the season with our Cougars and how your views are similar or different from the perspectives that we shared here on the No Conference for Old Men podcast. Uh, sure. Jotted down a few things. Yeah, I've, I've heard Calvin speak a few times. I've read some of his excerpts. And uh, one thing that he seems to bring up quite a bit is the fact that Shed, Jamal, needs to be better this year. And I, I think he's coming from a played obviously very well last year, arguably the, the most valuable player on the team, but may not have taken the big step that Calvin had hoped he had taken uh, in terms of decision-making, in terms of, of leading the team, maybe even occasional shot selection, shots that he's hitting. Uh, hopefully he's, he shoots better from the field. I think that's one area that will help him get to the next level for sure. You know, this is clearly Shed's team. Sasser's gone. Uh, in terms of the backcourt where U of H is always strong, this is Jamal's team, and, and so I think you know he takes a step forward. I think that's really going to help. We're we're such a we've been such a great rebounding team that I mean that's something that we really need in terms of continuing to to thrive. And you know we, we've gotten great rebounding not only from the front court in the past, but we've had guys like Nate Hinton, we've had Jero Dejan, uh, who's a phenomenal rebounder from the point. This year, we've got two starting guards that are small, and they were small last year as well. But, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming that Dunn is going to be the third starter, and he's he's really going to have to rebound for us. The other thing is we, we've always some depth in the front court. Last year, it was, you know, it was Roberts, Chaney, Jarris, and then Francis was our number four player, big man off the bench. And he wasn't really a main cog in the rotation, but he played when needed. This year, he's the starting center. So, you know, he's going to have to rebound. Like I said, Dunn's going to have to rebound. I think we're going to have to get, you know, as much help as possible from Arsenault. But uh, the young guys are really going to have to step up in terms of the rebound. Tugler, McFarland, maybe even Laugh. He's more of a banger, probably not expected to score much, but as much rebounding as they can do. And Tugler's a pretty athletic guy, even though he's six seven. He's got real long arms, longer wingspan than Francis. So yep. I think that he could hopefully step in and really, really help us continue to dominate the boards, both ends of the court. Clearly, there are a few guys that are going to need to really step up. Sharp and Arsenal were freshmen last year. Yeah, people, I keep seeing that, that Arsenal's ranked as one of the top 30, 35 shooting guards in the nation. And I'm a little <laughs> baffled by that, but I, but I'm hoping that some of these people that are doing the rankings have seen him play during the off season. I know he he struggled shooting the ball over in Australia, and uh, yep. but he's really got to step it up to the next level. I think Sharp was better last year and and had a lot of strong moments, but he's got to step it up a bit as well. And then of course, from the big man perspective, the front court, Francis is really going to have to step up. And then, of course, the young big men, as I mentioned, are you know, at least one or two are going to have to play a fairly significant role this year. And it's certainly it looks to be Tugler as the third big man that plays. And then 
hopefully we get some positive play out of McFarland. I, if all those things can happen, we're going to be right where we've kind of grown accustomed to being over the last couple of years, last several years. Yeah, that's great insights. And actually, I think what you're saying is more similar to what we've talked about than different. So I think we're all pretty much on the same page with high expectations coming into the year. Tom, did you want to add anything to to what Bill said? No, that's pretty much what Bill said. I I don't see anything that I disagree with. Yeah, Francis, it seemed like last year he got in foul trouble real quick or he got a, a quick hook and maybe Kelvin is a little more patient with them and lets Francis make a few more mistakes because it seemed like he got the old hook pretty quick. Yeah, that uh, the front court depth, it could be a concern. I, at first, I didn't think McFarland would you know even see any playing time this year, but you look at it, he might have to baptism by fire. Yeah, we'll see. I'm still not convinced McFarland's going to get any minutes. And I'm probably the outlier here that believes that Terrence Arsenault will see substantial time at the four for us to succeed. I think he's going to play all over three different positions for us during the course of the year. He may not start, he may, but I'd say in the end, he will play starters minutes and he'll play wherever he's going to be needed. So why don't we jump in and start looking ahead. And we had chatted about potentially looking into some of the potential non-conference teams that we're going to be playing, specifically St. John's, Texas A&M, and Xavier. So why don't we tackle St. John's first? Now, a lot has to go right here because that's at the, the Charleston tournament. And that would mean that both teams make it to the finals if we were to play but it's really an exciting possibility. So I'll go to Bill, you first. What do you think about St. John's and how our Houston Cougars would potentially match up with Rick Pitino's new team? I think that St. John's could be really good. And then again, they, they might not even make it to the finals. It's Pitino basically told 11 players from last year's team, adios. He wanted his players. I mean, this is a brand new team. He literally brought back one player that's going to see any type of playing time, and that's Joel Soriano, the yep. 6'11 center who put up some good numbers. Patino went out and he recruited shooters. I mean, unbelievable. If you look at some of these guys, they are all shooters, and that that was Patino's priority. And, you know, they've got some athleticism as well, but uh, player that he brought in from Iona, he was their second leading scorer, Dennis Jenkins, good shooter. He brought in the uh, the 23.5-point score from Penn, Jordan Dingle. And I know you guys mentioned these guys when you went through your top 25, but he's extremely good shooter as well. Kid that he brought in from Harvard, the forward, Ledlam. Chris Ledlam is a good yep. player. And then he, what will be interesting with St. John's is they've got a couple of really good freshmen. Brady Dunlap, forward, he is a top 35 recruit, and as soon as Mike Bray left Notre Dame. He got out of his commitment to Notre Dame and right to Patino. And then the other one is Simeon Wilcher, 6'4 guard. He bailed out on North Carolina as well. And he's just a great all-around player, great shooter. And uh, there's a lot of talent that Patino's bringing in. The, the question is going to be how, how quickly can they play well together? And, you know, are guys going to take poor shots because they want the ball more? You know, there's, there's only so many shots to go around. And and he's got a lot of shooters on that team. I think it's great to have shooters. I think such a, a skill that's underdeveloped in college basketball for the most part. So the more shooters you get, I think that's great. Now, with that said, there's a lot of young players on this team, a lot of players that are coming in from 
other programs where they didn't play much. There's there's one coming in from Gonzaga. Talented players, but didn't play that much. I, I think that it's a good matchup for us, especially early in the season with the way that we defend, the way that we typically, historically, the way that we get after the boards. You know, If we can limit them to one shot, I think that until they really play a lot together and get things figured out, I, I think it's a good matchup for us. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? Uh, same. You know, it's it might be a different story if we saw him three months later, but, uh, you know, we're going to see him uh, relatively yeah. early in the season and have all these players, uh, you know, try to get him to mesh. And then can't your rotation as the season goes on, you know, your rotation is probably going to be, be shortened. So Patino might be playing a lot of guys, you know, the first part of the year. But he's got some talent there. And if there's one coach uh, who can take a bunch of uh, – you know, different pieces and, and mold them into a unit in a quick time, you know, Rick Pitino will be one of those coaches. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to the possibility of playing them. I mean, you're talking about two of the greatest coaches in college basketball, right? Both old school coaches, but playing very, very different styles. They both emphasize D to the hilt, but how they play offense is going to be very, very different because they're going to try to play faster than we'd like to play. And we're going to try to slow it down. So always love watching this uh, this contrast of styles play out and who actually is able to kind of impart their will to the game. So, again, and, and, I think you guys had highlighted uh, key is going to be whether they play together or not so early in the season. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, Steve, one one more thing about Patino before we move on. Uh, you got to respect a guy who's, what, uh, getting close to his mid-70s. Yeah. He's still hungry. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know. He's coaching hard, so. Yes, he's not not you know resting on his laurels or whatever. You know, he's he he's still ambitious. You know, he's still a hungry coach. Okay, why don't we jump to the next team? And it's another team that we had covered during our preseason top twenty-five preview, and that's Texas A&M. I think we're playing them at uh, at the Rockets Arena, basically in yeah, Houston. Yeah, Toyota Center. Yeah. So, Bill, what do you think about our matchup with Texas A&M? Well, I, I like this matchup as well. And, and you guys hit it, you hit the nail right on the head uh, in the previous episode when you said A&M cannot shoot. They are a terrible shooting team. Yeah. With that said, their strength is their backcourt. They've, they've got a great backcourt. They can't shoot the ball well, but they get to the line exceptionally yeah. well. And they, and they do hit their free throws. So I think this game not to dismiss everything else, but I think it, in a lot of ways, this game is going to come down to the officiating. If yeah. it's a tightly officiated game, I think that benefits A&M. If it's, if it's a loosely officiated game, and, and if you, I don't know if you may or may not have seen them play Penn State in the first round of the NCAAs last year. It was a pretty loosely officiated game, and Penn State just blew them out of the gym. So if their guards can get to the line, then they've got a shot, and uh, their their two best players, like I said, are their guards, Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford. Neither one shot even forty percent from the field last year. They get to the line a ton, and they brought in another guard named Jace Walker from Illinois Chicago and Buzz Williams, who, who by the way, I really like as a coach. I grew up going to Marquette games and saw him coach there. His his players will just die for him, and they'll always play hard. Won't take plays off, but. Uh, and Buzz Williams loves his players so much that I sometimes question how highly he thinks of them. He's he's saying that 
Jace Carter, who scored about 16 points a game at Illinois Chicago, is one of the elite shooters in the country. And I'm not so sure I <laughs> see that. He, he shot 30% from three last year. He's very similar to their other two guards. He defends exactly. well. He, he penetrates. He, you know, he gets rebounds. Their, their guards rebound. Uh, which is something that you know we'll have to work at, but 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 their team is really guard heavy and, and they can't shoot. They've got a couple of good forwards. Uh, Henry Coleman, the former Duke player, has gotten better, and, he, and he's a good inside scorer. And then they've got a guy named Julius Marble, who's also a, an inside scorer. They're not going to step out at all. I'll tell you, I, I think that if we and, and this is tough because of the way that we play defense. You know, we're an aggressive defense. We do commit a lot of fouls. Uh, the thing I like is is that, uh, and I didn't mention him with the other guys, but if there are any fouling going on, especially in the backcourt, we've also got Wilson, Malik Wilson, who, who's a great defensive player who can step in and, and help defend A&M's guards. And I, I look at A&M a little bit like I look at Virginia last year. And Virginia had better shooters, not they don't penetrate. Their guards don't penetrate as well, but their their wing shooters are good. But they're deliberate offensively. You know, we we played them very well at Virginia. Beat them. It was basically a ten point lead throughout the double digit lead throughout the second half. I think we won by nine. I, I kind of see the same type of similar matchup anyway versus A and M. And you know, I I think that that this also bodes well for us as long as we're rebounding their missed shots because there are going to be a lot of missed shots when the officials hopefully are not calling fouls, but if they are, they'll be at the line. If not, it's going to be a lot of offensive rebound opportunities for A&M, and we just need to prevent that. Yeah, no, I agree. What do you think, Tom? Well, I'm looking at the the size of Henry Coleman III and Julius Marble, and, and it's probably going to be a knockdown dragout affair <laughs> down down yeah. low. Coleman's like 6'8", 245, Marble's 6'9", 235. So yep. I'm looking at that. You know, that's going to be like hand-to-hand combat down, yeah. in, down in the post. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. The, the way I would put it is it's a highly anticipated game, given it's Texas A&M and kind of the style of play, but I'm willing to bet it's going to be the ugliest game that we've got on our schedule because both teams play really slow. Both of them are hard-nosed defensively. Neither team shoots very well, though hopefully we'll shoot a little bit better this year than in the past with Cryer. But I'm looking forward to it this game. I think Iowa State are going to be two games that are going to be extremely physical and slow, and we're going to love every minute of it. So looking Steve, forward to it. Don't forget Texas Tech game with Grant McCaslin. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, with Grant McCaslin now, that is true. It's going to be like watching the yeah. Iowa uh, football offense, Brian Ferentz. Yeah, no, no, you're <laughs> yeah. right. You're right. Forgot first about one, that. First one to 30 is going to win that one. Yeah. Okay, why don't we pivot to a, a quick one with Xavier as the third non-conference game to zero in on. What do you think, Bill? Well, Xavier's a little bit like St. John's. Not, not so much because Sean Miller – told overwhelming majority of his team to leave and find a home somewhere else. But they just, due to graduation, I mean, they lost five of their top six scorers. You know, if you saw them in the NCAAs, they're a good team. They're, they're, they're solid at every position last year. And then they went up against a more talented team in Texas, absolutely blew them out in the Sweet 16. 
they lost virtually everyone. Yeah. So Sean Miller went out and hit the portal, and it looks like maybe the, the best guy – well, they, they've got one guy back who was injured last year, uh, uh, Zach Fremantle, and you guys mentioned him, the 6'9 forward, and he's a very good player. Yeah, uh, hey, excuse me, Bill. Uh, yeah. I just saw the other day he's he's out for the season. Yeah, and, and oh, that's he is. It, it, yeah, he's had, he's had foot injuries his yeah. whole career. So if yeah, I I didn't realize that is is that what happened? He re-injured the foot. It, it, it must have been. And then the other guy they had coming back, uh, Jerome, Jerome Hunter, Hunter. He's out. Yeah. He's out for the season. He's out for the season too. And then they had a transfer yeah. from Indiana, Logan Duncan. He decided to, uh, to get basketball up because of so many injuries, and he was like 6'10", 250, so yeah. Yeah, those the second two you mentioned I knew about. I did not know about Fremantle, but yeah. that, okay. Just well, came and, out not that long ago. Uh, and I was going to kind of conclude by saying, I don't, uh, other than the fact that we're playing at Xavier, I didn't see this, even with Fremantle, being one of our top non-conference challenges. I, I think we win this game, and I don't want to say we win a blowout, but I th- I think we win it pretty well. I mean, they're it looks like they're maybe their best player is going to be the transfer grad transfer from Rice, six three guard Oliveri Quincy Oliveri, and yep. the other guy, the one guy that that I think is a good player, uh, better than than Oliveri that they're bringing in is the point guard from Western Kentucky, uh, uh, Davian McKnight. I think he's a good player. Yeah. He he tends to force shots a lot from time to time, and that may have just been a byproduct of playing at Western Kentucky where he was far and away the best player and kind of felt like he had to take shots. They're another team where their strength is looks like it's going to be their backcourt, and that's U of H's strength, and I think our backcourt is significantly better than theirs. Uh, they've got they've got one guy, the big guy, 6'10", 240, uh, Alsam, I don't even, <laughs> Alsame. So, so they're you know they're going to have some depth, but once again, it's going to take them time, just like with St. John's, and and I just don't think they have the talent there that St. John's has, not even close. And and you know I've looked at some of the predictions, and and most have both St. John's and Xavier finishing fifth and sixth in the uh, in the Big East, and it's Xavier that's typically sixth. And I think with Fremantle out, I think I think I think we win this game. I think I, I don't think it's a it's nearly the challenge that the other two will be. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I agree with Bill. Uh, I think we win this game. Uh, Sean Miller, coach I respect a whole lot. He'll be relying on three Conference USA transfers, like Bill mentioned, uh, the Western Kentucky one, David McKnight, the Rice transfer, Quincy Oliveira. I don't think our basketball team is going to get beat by a Rice player. Now, football (laughs) made (laughs) it. Agreed. <laughs> nice. Okay, so uh, I'll weigh in here since it was I that predicted from an out-of-conference loss perspective that it was going to be Xavier. And that was going to be the one loss that I had predicted. Now, just to be fair, I made that prediction before I realized Zach Fremantle and Jerome Hunter were likely out for the season. But really, you know, I, I made that prediction based on the respect I've got for Sean Miller and the fact that Xavier historically almost never loses at home. And so we'll see. I'm likely walking back that prediction <laughs> at this point. I still think they're going to be better than people think they will be. The new preseason Ken Palm rankings came out. And granted, it's preseason and it's based on kind of historical stats. But it, they're still 34th. We'll see where that goes. 
So I think that's it for, for this segment. I definitely wanted to thank Bill Walker for joining us as a guest today. We welcome Hayden Atkins to the show. Hayden is a big Arizona fan, and uh, we're going to introduce Hayden. Hayden, like uh, myself, we've been living in Northwest Iowa for a while, and I always get the question, you know, you live in Northwest Iowa, how in the heck did you become a Houston Cougar fan? Well, Hayden, tell us about how you became an Arizona fan. All right. Well, um, I was born in Tucson, Arizona, where Arizona basketball takes place. I had family that went to the University of Arizona, so living in the area, you kind of just become the fan of that college there. So, Okay. And how'd you end up in Northwest Iowa? Like my I parents. Did. Oh, your parents. parents. Okay. Okay. They moved yeah. back to the, they wanted uh, us kids to grow up in a small town, kind of like they did. So 2001, we moved back to Northwest Iowa. Okay. And then Hayden, what is your greatest memory in Arizona basketball history? Now, I will say this. Our podcast is called No Conference for Old Men. Hayden is like half our age, so he doesn't have as many memories uh, to go back on. But anyway, Hayden, what's your greatest memory, Arizona basketball history? My greatest memory, well, I was a big Lute Olsen fan when he was still there and coaching and everything. I can't remember where we were flying to or flying from. But, but Lute Olson and the Arizona Wildcats were actually on the same airplane we were on. So that's kind of a cool memory that we had. Other than that, you know, yeah, I was alive for their national championship. I don't remember it because I was young, like you said, and I don't have probably near as memories as you. I think it was 1997. Yeah. So that had been, been like I was 20... five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that counts. That counts. And by the way, uh, old Lute. You know, he coached at Iowa, had the Iowa Hawkeyes before he went to, before he went to he Arizona. Did, yep. 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 Now, Hayden, let's talk about the upcoming season for your Wildcats. What are Arizona's key losses? Um, when you look at their losses, you know, you have Azula Sabellis. You know, he was one of their top point leaders, defenders. Um, so he made the decision to declare for the draft. And so he went to the draft and got signed by the Philadelphia 76ers. So that's kind of one big key loss. Um, there's Henderson that we lost. He was a senior, so he was going away anyways. And then Courtney Ramey um, transferred from Texas, came to Arizona. He was kind of a big part of the in their program. Uh, when you look at it from last year in the Pac-12 tournament, he's the one that hit a big go-ahead three against UCLA. So he was a kind of a big loss there. And then, of course, um, to the transfer portal, Kirk Riso went to West Virginia. He's is one of those guys. What? Is that a loss? Uh, or is that addition know, by subtraction? The I wouldn't say it's such a big loss. I know he's one of those players, either you love him or hate him. Um, but when you started watching him play in some of those big games, I'll even go back to the Princeton game in the tournament. You know, you have him out there. He's trying to make plays, and it's just not happening. And then you put in your freshman off the bench who comes in, makes some plays, and then all of a sudden – Arizona has a swing. They're playing well. So then you put Creasa back in, and then it goes back towards Princeton's way. So, I mean, it's okay that he's no longer at Arizona. I mean, I wish him nothing but the best over at West Virginia, but I'm okay with the loss. Yeah, we'll get to see him uh, this year. The Houston Cougars will. How about what are the key components Arizona has coming back? Um, some of those key components, um, when they got Tommy Lloyd as the basketball coach over there, Umar Balo followed him from Gonzaga. His first year there, 
you know, watching him play, you're like, oh, man, I, I don't know. Gonzaga is always up there at the top for basketball. And so you have this guy and, you know, some of his mechanics were so-so. They were okay. But he was always playing behind Drew, Timmy, and um, another big guy from up there. But then that second year with with Tommy Lloyd at Arizona, he was actually one of the most improved basketball players for the Pac-12 tournament and for the Pac-12 himself. So I'm excited to see where he goes uh, this year with that. Another key return is Pella Larson. He started off the year um, as a starter, but then Tommy Lloyd, being Tommy Lloyd, figured it out that is better coming off of the bench. And so he started coming off of the bench, kind of being that sixth man. And so I'm excited to see him play again. And then that freshman I was talking about earlier, um, Killian Boswell, I think he's going to be a great point guard. He's very athletic on the offensive side, making plays, and he does very well defensively. I mean, he's not one that get, doesn't try to give up a lot of big plays there. So those would be the big three um, that yeah, I think I of. Yeah, I heard somewhere, I don't, I don't know where, but uh, Tommy Lloyd said he thinks they're going to be have more length this year and be better defensively. Yep, uh, yep. Now, how about what are they adding, Hayden? Well, as you know, and you and I have talked before, Tom, you call Arizona Gonzaga South um, just because of getting the international players. So, I mean, they've signed a couple of international players coming. Um, I think some of their big recruits that they got was through the transfer portal. You got Caleb Love coming from North Carolina. So he brings a lot to the table with his diversity of both offensive and defense. And then you got Kashad Johnson coming from SDSU. You know, he was part of that Final Four team last year. So they're adding some key players through that transfer portal, and I think they're all going to mesh well. Uh, Watching highlights from their exhibition game against, oh, who was it? Lewis Clark State. Yeah, Lewis Clark State. You know, just, again, you don't want to read into it because of who they played, but seeing some of that stuff, that it, it looked good. They they looked good. Yeah, I saw they scored 110 points. Then you have uh, Bradley, right, from Bama coming in too. Yep, and Bradley. Yep. yep, I forgot about him. He's coming in as well. Yeah, um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see who they start. Do right. They start, do they start the two transfers from the portal, or do uh, they start the, the guard that backed up Creasa last year? Yeah, I don't know. I know in that exhibition game, Boswell got to play. Bradley was playing. So I don't know what it's going to look like. There are some big sign-ins that came in as well. Hey, the next thing we're looking at is key non-conference games. Holy cow. Duke, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Purdue, Alabama, FAU. That's one, two, three, four, five. That's six really, really quality opponents uh, in, in those non-conference games. What do you, th- yeah, what do you think I mean, about, What do you think about that slate? Uh, I'm excited for it. I, I think it really gives Arizona the chance, you know, you want to talk about elite programs and all of that stuff. You want to have those tough non-conference games. I mean, they're going to be exciting. It's going to be electric. Um, I think they play Duke at at Duke, but then you look at Michigan State, Purdue, Alabama, FAU. Um, those are at a neutral court, so it's not. There's really not a home court advantage there. Um, and then Wisconsin's at home, so I think that's going to be a good one. When Sean Miller is still there, you had those two years in the Elite Eight where. They fell short to make it to the final four against Wisconsin. So there's kind of a little bit of a rivalry there. <laughs> so it should be a good game either way. But yeah, I give Tommy Lloyd a lot of credit for going out there, you know, and not, not run away from competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I mean, there's, there's going to be some, real, some really, really tough Pac 12 games also. You know, a lot of times some coaches would just load up on a bunch of cupcakes, you know, because they don't want to lose a whole bunch of games in non conference. 
How right. about uh, Hayden? How do you see Arizona in their last Pac-12 season? You know, they'll probably going to the Big Twelve. Yeah, they're probably going to be towards the top. I would say, going through Pac-12 conference right now, uh, Arizona's I think is the only ranked team in that conference. But knowing the conference and how they play, you know, Washington normally has a pretty good ball club. Oregon has a pretty good ball club, um, and then UCLA. I know they lost some key players last year, but they're still going to be probably a tough team to play against. Um, there's that rivalry there again between UCLA and Arizona. And then, of course, Arizona State, Arizona, that's always a big rivalry. I mean, it goes back and forth there. Say, hey, next year we'll uh, we'll find some common ground when uh, you're in the Big 12 because we can all hate on Bobby Hurley. <laughs> yes, we can. God, I can. Yeah, Bobby Hurley. <laughs> Also, a couple more teams. Uh, USC should be really good. Yep, USC. And, I'm not sure what Washington State's going to look like this year so much. Colorado, again, kind of one of those teams that wants to gun for stuff. When you have a program like Arizona or any a good program, you know, whether you're ranked or not, you always have that bullseye on your back just from where they've gone in the past and how that they've done. So everybody kind of wants to go after them and do the, play their best ball. Yep, Steve and I know the feeling, uh, you know, when uh, U of H is in the American Athletic, uh, you know, we were top dog and we took everybody's best shot every night. John Rothstein was really high on Colorado. I think he had Colorado in his top 45, somewhere around 24, something like that. So, you know, he thinks they're, they're yeah. going to be really good. Yeah. Now, let's, let's do some hypotheticals here. Let's say... 31 regular season games, uh, a couple of Pac-12 tourney games. Let's say Arizona plays 34 games. What do you think their final record will be? Like a ballpark uh, vicinity. You know, ideally it'd be nice if they were 34-0, but I'm not going to uh, <laughs> go that route. You know, I, I when you look at those non-conference, I mean, they played, if they can play ball well and transition well, you know, you're, you're probably going to look somewhere between a 20 to 30 win season with Arizona. You know, those non-conference games, I mean, those aren't programs that shy away from a challenge. I mean, would it suck to lose those games? Yeah, but I'm guessing they're they're probably going to be somewhere in a 20 to 30 win season. It, that would be my prediction. Yeah, uh, uh, I had U of H going like, I think like 26 and 8. I could see Arizona, you know, going somewhere around there 26 and 8. I had Houston. I had Houston with a with a two seed. What type of seed do you think Arizona's looking at? Um, you know, you want you want to have a number one seed, um, but again, that puts that target on your back. So, I think they could be easily a one through five seed, just depending on how they do. And again, those big non conference games will play a factor into that, and where they finish in the Pac twelve tournament as well. So, okay, Hayden. And if all the cards fall right, how far do you think Arizona can go? Do you think they're capable, uh, let's say, Final Four, National Champs? Where do, you, where do you think the ceiling is for this team? You know, I, I'd like to see them be National Champs. I mean, that's the goal every year. Um, I'm one of those guys that when the brackets come out, I always have one bracket where I have Arizona going all the way. Um, sometimes that bites me in the butt. I'd like to see them at least make it to the Elite Eight, if not the Final Four. I think they're capable of doing that. I mean, you're bringing in some players that have that tournament feeling now, um, so they can get in there. Um, again, you have Johnson from 
San Diego State, who was part of a Final Four team. So, I mean, just having some of that veteran presence that's gone in the tournament and all that stuff helps play a different role, too. So, Well, yeah, Caleb Love, uh, a couple of years ago, was on the Carolina team that had a 15-point lead at halftime over Kansas, and they ended, yep. up, you know, they ended up losing. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's some really good experience there. Let's see. As an Arizona fan, what would you see as disappointing? Not losing to Princeton, right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't want to see another first round knockout. I mean, that's why they call it March Madness, but I I don't want to see another first round knockout. I mean there was the thing about it is no nobody want you know that's got like a one or two or three seed wants to see an Ivy League team no. in, in, the, I mean, in the first round. They, they lost to Princeton that round several years ago with Sean Miller. They lost to DePaul in the first round. I mean, no no one wants to see that. You, you expect yeah. more from that, and when that happens, it's just kind of disappointing. Okay. And then, Hayden, uh, uh, last thing, next year after this year, you know, head on to the, the Big 12. Uh, we have Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. Uh, your thoughts on joining the Big 12? Will you miss the Pac-12? since that's what you grew up with, uh, you know, what do you think about joining the Big 12 and where do you see Arizona in the pecking order? You know, uh, yeah, I'm going to miss the Pac-12, but it's also going to be an opportunity for Arizona to get some good basketball playing. I mean, you look at the Big 12, you have Kansas, who's always pretty good. You know, now there's Houston in there. Houston always does a good job. So, yeah, I mean, with, with Samson. Baylor's, yeah, Baylor just, you know, won a national uh, got, championship yeah, a couple years Baylor, ago. You got Baylor in there. I know TCU has been up there. Iowa State. K-State. Like, yep. K-State. I mean, I mean, you go through there and you you know that it's a basketball conference. I mean, yeah, they do fairly well in other sports too, but they're always up there in basketball. I mean, you got some pretty big basketball programs up there. Yeah, Steve and I think it's the best basketball league in the country. So, all right, Hayden. Well, thank you for joining our show. And, yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Let's have fun during the season, and then uh, you know next year we'll have to go to some Arizona U of H U of H games. Yeah, absolutely. Bear down. That's it for episode four of the No Conference for Old Men podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it, and again, would really appreciate it if you listen in, follow, subscribe, collect our podcast, depending on whatever your platform of choice is. We truly appreciate and love all of your support. Keeps us going and reinforces our view that there is an appetite out there for the type of deep college hoops insight we're trying to provide for Cougars and Big 12 fans. And please provide a rating and feedback. Also, give us a follow on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening. And Episode 5 will come out next week with, finally, some regular season games that we can start talking about. So please be on the lookout to listen, download next week. Thanks again.